Welcome to Holyrood Ungagged, the political podcast of Scotland's democracy movement. Season 4, Episode 7, I am your host, David McClement, broadcasting from the Blantyre Free State. And joining me this week is my eternal comrade, Mulgay's digital Michelangelo, Miss Deborah Torrance. Hi, Deborah. Hi. And a third member of this evening's triumvirate is co-convener of SNP Socialists. She's a Republican, but only on this side of the Atlantic. It's Kat Carey. Hiya. Hi, Kat. Nice to see I, you again. I am so proud of that wee phrase, intro phrase I come up with you, Kat, and you don't laugh nearly as much as I feel you should. Oh. I'm, just, I'm just putting my feelings out there. That's how I feel. I always smile when you say it because I'm like, yep, that's right. Thank listeners, you for no, the not listeners, putting a The listeners R. can't hear you smile. <laughs> okay. Well. You're going to have to do fake laughs all through the thing, minute. <laughs> Oh, we went off French. <laughs> yes. How was everybody's weekend? Deborah, do you want to go first? Uh, it was all right, except I got the worst kebab in Scotland. Oh, you yeah. were saying this? You were complaining that you had a kebab and it was greasy? Wasn't it just a greasy kebab? I actually wanted a greasy kebab. I just didn't know what I, I wanted like more kebab than grease and it wasn't it was the other way about <laughs> were you drunk enough when you ate it though no it was a sober decision you that might be a problem i think get drunk next time <laughs> i usually drunk when you eat kebabs deborah that could be the secret no i really like kebabs i think they're a great they're just meat on a barbecue like i'm in it and a wrap with spicy sauce like it's a great invention if Tyler ever goes out drinking, he gets a kebab on the way back when he's drunk, <laughs> which is why, like, it doesn't happen very often. So that's why I always associate it. And a traffic cone as well. That's a stereotype. I had a kebab last night as well, actually. Coincidentally. Was it, was it nice? It was not bad. It was from a chip shop. So it wasn't from, like, a, a Indian takeaway. Um, uh, it wasn't easy enough, actually. That was the problem. Was Nah. This was less a kebab and maybe a sort of gyro. I don't mean like job seekers allowance. I mean like the like a the euro. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, had to, I had to change that in my head when I first heard it because that's what I thought. Aye, <laughs> but I, I just everybody had hyped it up to me. That was the problem. I was mm. my expectations were very high, and I was deeply disappointed. That was my weekend. <laughs> All about the expectations. I don't remember what I did this weekend. Like, it's that time of year where I just sleep and I'm trying to hold off till December 1st to start watching Christmas movies because we kind of ran out last year. So last Thursday was Thanksgiving in America. So the day after Thanksgiving is Christmas season. All all bets are off. Christmas music is a go for us. Happy Thanksgiving, Kat. Well, thanks. Oh, yeah. Do you still celebrate it when you're over here? Nah. Because Tyler and I were both in the in the Navy and we were always like we weren't necessarily in America for Thanksgiving. And sometimes we were working, you know, so when it's too expensive to try and buy a turkey, it's just it's just a lot of work for busy people. Be watching like American TV shows. I always just thought Thanksgiving seemed like a kind of mini Christmas because it seems like I have a lot of the similar traditions, turkey, family meal, all the way through the presents. Yeah, but like we always had a ham at Christmas and okay, this isn't all of America. This is my family. Like my family has what pies for what thing? Like you don't have apple pie in the winter. That's a summer pie. Um, You have pumpkin pie for Thanksgiving and Christmas and maybe pecan pie for both. But like in Easter, it's like um, banana cream and lemon meringue. Like you have to have your different pies by the season. Lots of countries have these rules. I think it's um, more of a German tradition in my family than anything else. I remember in Catalonia suggesting we had, we had paella for dinner and all the Catalans were horrified because apparently you can't possibly eat paella um, in the evening. You can only eat that at lunchtime. Hmm. So, there we go. Yeah. And in Italy, you can only have coffee at certain times of the day. Right. Like, isn't it just cappuccino in the morning? Yeah. <laughs> One of my Catalan friends asked me to bring him over a Scottish tablet when I was visiting one time. And uh, he'd had it before and I gave him it. was like, oh, that's great. That'll be great for breakfast. 
Yeah, that's that's exactly the same face I pulled, Deborah. Sounds um, like a genie breakfast. Well, <laughs> apparently, Catalans like sweet things for breakfast, so it made sense to him. I was just, I just got a reminder on my phone this coming weekend. I'm going to be on the I for Scotland Twitch stream thingy. Oh, okay. Um, they do like a 24 hour fundraiser for, I don't know if it's LGBT Youth Scotland or something like that. Wicked. You're not doing a full 24 hours, I think. No, no, no. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not one of the like high build people. So I'll probably be at like three in the morning again. <laughs> It was a good time last time. Well, my weekend was eventful because my wife was away visiting her friend down south. So I was on solo duty with the four kids and I'm happy to report they all survived. So well done. Credit it to me. Look, it doesn't look like your house burnt down. So I had to tidy it several times on the Sunday because I kept wrecking it again. But it was presentable for my wife coming home. So all in all, I'm calling it a win. Right on. Well done. Well, we start off, I think we know what we want to start with. Excuse me, you haven't said, let's get ungagged. I don't think I said, did I? I'm sure. Let's get ungagged. The Scottish Government cannot hold an independence referendum without the UK Government's consent, the UK Supreme Court has ruled. First Minister Nicola Sturgeon wants to hold a referendum on 19th October next year, but the Court ruled unanimously that she does not have the power to do so because the issue is reserved to Westminster. The UK Government has refused to grant a formal request for the referendum. Court President Lou Reid, Lord, Lord Reid, Lou Reid, another guy or the other, said the laws created the devolved Scottish Parliament in 1999 meant it not have the power over areas of the Constitution, including the union between Scotland and England. The First Minister said that the myth that the UK is a voluntary union was shattered, and following the verdict, the SNP announced a special party conference will be held next year to thrash out the details of how a de facto referendum uh, at the next UK general election will work in practice. Deborah, what was your feelings when you heard the verdict come through? It was kind of hyped up quite a lot for the last couple of months or so. Well, I don't think it was very unexpected. I think we all kind of knew what the script was. We had a wee bit of hope in our hearts. My actual fear was when Brian was talking about a sort of non-contested ruling. I was like, oh, that's worse than saying yes or no. Um, I think at least it's definitive. I liked what Nicola Sturgeon says. I think it's important to just talk about the myth of democracy uh, and this uh, sort of myth of a voluntary union. Sorry, let me say that again because my phone's binging. <clears throat> it's that Talking Sense podcast chat I'm in. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. I got, I, got, I got it as well. <laughs> Sorry. It wasn't uh, Talking Sense's fault. Mine's <laughs> <laughs> going off too. I, I think it's important to build on that myth of a voluntary union because... Is it, we've never really had democracy. See, when you go back to the actual act of parliament, right, the different articles that were brought up, Scotland didn't want it. Like, there was riots and unrest uh, across Scotland, so much so that the UK forces thought that there was going to be a national uprising against it. And there was 93 petitions submitted to Westminster and the Duke of Argyle called them nothing but paper kites which shows you how much democracy was really going on because it was the lairds, the the dukes, the, the, the people that we today oppose anyway like it was it's the same same caliber of people it was it's very much a class thing and if you want to bring it down further into when did the people of Scotland truly get suffrage because the working class man didn't get it until women got it. And uh, like the majority of men that fought in World War I did not have the right to vote. And look how much that decimated Scottish communities. I, I think we talk about democracy in such a frivolous way sometimes, I think. And 
a lot of it is because we have this illusion a good democracy in Scotland because the way the Scottish Parliament is set up it's almost close to it's no proportional representation but we're we're kind of we've got that rainbow parliament where it sort of represents what the people of Scotland vote for but it's no true democracy we've never really had that and civil rights for people anyway you know yourself Kat you're from America you know what happened over there in the 60s you know people under 21 couldn't vote until 1969 UK so this idea of democracy and you know this voluntary union I just think there's bigger questions to be had on what it means for Scotland what when we're talking about this general election, David, you said it. You said that it's going to disenfranchise if we have a general election plebiscite. It's going to disenfranchise 16, 17-year-olds and new Scots. And that worries me, even though it's a tiny percentage of the, the, the actual vote, it's not going to make a big difference on the outcome. I worry about what type of Scotland we're building. And if we are fighting for democracy, then we, we talk about really what, what it is we mean, who, who the democracy is for. We're not going to have lords. We don't want that system. We don't want to replicate the failings of the state that we're trying to leave. And I know I went off in a rant, and you're really lucky, David, because I did have a whole thing right back to uh, when Scotland was formed. And uh, the argument over, was it the 9th century or was it the 11th century? But uh, I'll, I'll save you that history lesson. <laughs> you just went back to one century. Oh, well, just went back to one century. <laughs> well, I did talk oh. about the Acts of Parliament, so that was that was a few centuries. Fair enough. Kat, how did you feel? What, what were you expecting? How did you feel when you got the result? I have to admit that some people were like, are you ready for tomorrow on, on Monday? And I'm like, for, for what? Because... I just kind of, I, I do get like this for U.S. elections too, where I just kind of get this tunnel vision where it's like, I'll have emotions once I know the answer because I'm, I got too much going on. But I did feel like there was going to be nothing earth shattering in this. I just felt like this was a necessary step because this isn't even a loss because the U.K. government didn't want the Supreme Court to rule at all. So just by having them take up the case and like you said, Deborah, like how how Brian had said, there may be a non-answer. They didn't give a non-answer. They gave a very detailed answer of like, this is why this is reserved. It's because this political choice would change the nature of the union. So they're really talking about like the democratic will of yes, voting Scots, if, if how legitimate and political and real that is. So I thought that was a really good thing. And you can see the plans of attack now from the, the unionist parties are different. Like oh, oh, maybe you shouldn't spend that funding. Like three words, festival of Brexit, right? Like, shut up. This one is actually on, like it, the Scottish government, both the parties that support yes were elected on these pledges. So they're spending money, you know? I would love to see all the different things the Tory government doesn't need to spend money on, get get attacked for it. But like, this is not it. Don't mean to interrupt, but just on that note, I saw a thing on Twitter before I come on that, a uh, 1.2 million garden gnome was just delivered to 10 Downing Street today. So um, there you go. There you go. There must be a lord with a, uh, a gnome factory somewhere. <laughs> and like what you said, Deborah, you know, something that I see a lot in some of the discourse from independent supporters is like, we don't ever want Tories again. But that's kind of wrongheaded in a way because like we're going to have to live with all these people all of our neighbors are still going to be there or the majority of them. So like every democracy is imperfect, but like we have STV for our council voting. We have the additional member system in parliament. So like we will still have Tories after independence. We'll have councillors, we'll have MSPs, or, you know, if they're not Tories, they're at least conservatives, you know, we're just not going to be rid of them. So we have to find ways to do this in a, in a practical democratic political is legal is what I mean, uh, way. And, and, you know, a lot of the attacks also are on first past the post kind of crap. So we just have to, those are the few things that, that pop up that I'm like, Ooh, we got to watch out for that. We got to watch out for that. I think we talked about it last time I was on that, uh, that one guy who was off on a, on a Brit net rant was saying, 
you know, you have to be able to stand in every constituency because they want to make it cost prohibitive. So anyways, my reaction to the Supreme Court ruling was, you know, not excited, but I was pleased. Do you think it was a mistake to go to the Supreme Court? No, not at all. Because A lot of people are saying that this was some kind of error for, for the Scottish government. I don't think it was at all. I think it was necessary because remember, right before this was announced, the line was, well, we'll just boycott the election. We'll boycott the advisory referendum. Then you can't have your democracy. And even if they had a, uh, if we had an advisory referendum before the Supreme Court case, then it would have to come after. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of Nicola Sturgeon. Some people don't like her because she's not left enough. And, you know, she's more centered than I am, but she knows how to get things done. And she's very much communicated. She wants to have us live in an independent nation, not declare it, not vote for it, but live in an independent Scotland. So I just think this is, you know, the system is rigged against us. So we're just chipping away. I don't think, I think, I think it was quite a smart move, really, because it basically made the Supreme Court the sort of, they had to, they were the arbiter, uh, arbiter, no, I, I don't know. I'm, oh. I'm trying to, I'm trying to say that they were sort of the, the tipping point. The, what's the right word? Arbiter. Arbiter is that an actual word? Yeah. I, for, I forgot how to talk English. Yeah. Or are they the uh, harbinger? <laughs> maybe the harbinger. I think it was quite smart because now we're talking about democracy, and that is for me anyway. That's the fundamental principle of why I want independence because it doesn't matter how we vote, we get the parliament that the largest part of this union votes for every time. Yeah, I mean, I've been quite bemused with some of the reaction for unionists, like. You know, some of them are acting like they've won a referendum, like as if, you know, it's all, it's all over and they've, get, they've won this great victory, when really what's actually happened is the UK has been exposed in terms of the complete democratic deficit uh, in Scotland, and I don't think that's going to help the union in any kind of long term. So I really don't know what, they're, what they think they've won or what they think what they've got to be smug about, because the union's finished. I think it could still be years to go, but, you know... This is not a sustainable state of affairs for a country that calls itself a democracy. Absolutely. Have you heard any of the Scotland as a colony, colony discourse? Oh, uh, yes. Actually, so most recently I had someone in Labour ask me for my perspective, like how an American supports independence. And then at, at some point they asked me, well, don't you think that Scotland was part like an active part of the British Empire. It's like, of course. And you could see <laughs> she kind of deflated because I took her argument away because she thought I was going to say no. <laughs> but I was like, of course. But we need to make reparations and the UK government has no, the UK is not going to ever make reparations on a substantive basis. So yeah, we're not a colony. Yeah, it's. I think it's a, a lazy simile. The, the UK situation is totally unique. <laughs> Like, uh, like independence is normal. Like that, you, you can't say that strongly enough. The union is what is out of whack. So, trying to, I don't know, trying to portray that as Scotland is a sort of colonial state. It's, I, I just think it's a bit lazy, really. I think there's loads of other ways you can describe this dysfunctional situation we find ourselves in. I think that we do a big disservice to like underprivileged areas in England, you know, and, and Wales and North places like that. When we say, oh, Scotland was a con, like, no, like they had it bad too. And and I don't wish any bad of anyone in England. I just want better for them as well. It's just not going to happen with us together. Can I also just have a wee complaint just while we're on this topic? See if I hear one mere comparison of Scotland being a battered wife. I'm gonna flip my lid. I can't deal. I can't deal. Why is doing this? <laughs> stop! Stop it! If you're one of the people doing that, stop it. Thank you. Yeah, the, the kind of whole Scotland's a colony thing. I can. You're spot on there, Deborah. It is a lazy comparison because you can kind of see why people say it because you know the political power. We've just been told does not lie in Scotland. It, uh, it lies somewhere else. And we don't really have a say in that. So you can kind of see how people would say colony, but when you compare it to the reality of what 
mm-hmm. people in British colonies suffered. It's no comparable for that. So although technically and possibly in a textbook sense, you know, they might have a point, you're kind of undermining it because you're you're trying to put the situation we're in to the situation that people suffered, you know, mass murder, basically, in uh, loads of British colonies around the world. It's a bit, Absolutely. I was thinking, a comparison I was thinking about is, I used to work in childcare, and sometimes in childcare, as a man working in childcare, you get a bit of resistance and a bit of kind of, hostility for some quarters because people don't think some people don't think men should work on childcare. Now you could be really technical and say, I experienced gender discrimination. But if I started walking about and saying I'm a victim of a victim of gender discrimination, I would be a complete idiot for saying that. And it'd be really offensive for all the stuff that women have went through their generations and centuries to compare that situation to what's happened. Might be technically correct, but it's still offensive. Mm-hmm. I thought about that when I was picking my kids up to school, sitting in the car. Having a man pout. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is a problem. And, you know, um, Fulton McGregor does a lot about, you know, like parental leave and 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 that kind of stuff, like, should be should be equal, which I think helps us live in an equal society as well. You know, I think that helps moms and dads. What do you think of the whole idea of UK election being used as a, a proxy end of it? It's smart. Because they can't bow out of it, can they? Like there was chat about them uh, boycotting the Scottish elections if it was going to be like a, a Scottish parliamentary plebiscite. So I think it's it's sort of scuppered them a bit. So I I think it's smart, even though I have my frustrations at disenfranchising the the sixteen seventeen year olds and the new Scots. I I do think that. There might still be an alternative. We don't know what's going to happen after the January NEC. There might be some new thought. Who knows? I don't know. I just kind of feel as if it's a lose-lose for for us in terms of the UK government are not going to agree that it is a proxy referendum no matter what. So I feel as if if we win it, we don't necessarily might get anything out of it. Certainly if we don't hit 50% plus one, They'll turn around and say, well, there we go, it's all done, he's decided. We had a vote and they'll use that as a stick to uh, beat us with. And, and effectively, we're setting up a situation where at best we're now going to have to win two referendum because we'll need to, I think we need to win this just to keep things moving forward. That's how we're fought. That's the danger I, I feel we have a setting it up like this. What do we really get out of winning it? Because I'm not sure. Like, I asked somebody, I was trying to remember the, the, the guy's name. He was, I think he was an SNT councillor. And he was saying, well, if we do this, it will be undeniable. And I just can't help but think, I think you're underestimating what the UK government can deny. I really think that SNP or, you know, a pro-independence alliance, however it ends up being formulated, if they get, like, 55% or whatever, I, I, I don't really think that moves the needle much in terms of the UK government, who are seemingly just happy to dig their heels in. I think I agree with things that both of you had said, but I I, I don't see it as like, this will be it. This is undeniable. I'm not sure many people think that. I just think that this is, again, another step. We're building a case. We're like building, we're building a wall, right? That each piece is really important and you can't skip it. But that being said, like it used to confuse me because I I moved here in uh, late 2016 and there had been an independence referendum and then a Westminster election, then a Hollywood election, then a Brexit referendum. And when people were so like, when's the next thing? When's the next? I'm like, like, why do you think that this is going to be fast? You know, like that was the pace of politics at the time. And now it's slowed down a bit, but I think people still expect, honestly, I think people still expect independence to be just around the corner where I think it's a little bit longer than that, but I will take that and have it for real rather than like, declare independence like Estonia, like 90 years before you actually are independent. What you said, Deborah, about they won't be able to boycott the election, I think is really important. And like, it also digs at labor, labor who tries to talk out of both sides of their mouth and go like, oh, a lot of our supporters support independence, but we're for the union. That won't wash for independent supporters in the Westminster election. I am very upset that I won't be able to vote in it. And 16, 17 year olds won't, but that'll make it harder for Westminster to deny or the UK government. And they're going to deny it anyways. They're going to call it illegitimate no matter what. This is what 
the next step we have to do because this is politics. You have to bring public opinion and you just have to keep going until it's inevitable. We're playing chess, really, because I think that if we win, which I'm, I really do think we're going to, because I think the way UK politics has went, that's like people aren't stupid. The population isn't stupid. We're, they're savvy. They might not vote all the time we, the way we want them to, but they don't forget things. I don't think they've forgotten the lockdown. I don't even way shiny face on the, in the jungle. I don't think they've forgotten what he done. I I do think if we win it, when we win it, and they deny it. They're just further in the case for independence. And as Kat says, it's going to build and build. And what we really need is that momentum that the United Kingdom, no matter what their parliament says, cannot deny. And we'll have the backing of many international supporters. Like you hear them, you don't hear them on the news, but you see wee glimpses of them, former uh, European parliament uh, colleagues, you know, talking fondly, uh, their SNP colleagues and other big government ministers that talk about Scotland, no, the UK, Scotland, that's important. And the work that the Scottish government's doing with all these branches, uh, sort of embassies, I think it's brilliant. I'm into it. I think we're, it's hopeful. And I think, I don't think it's going to happen soon. Like, I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow, but I do think something is happening already. And that's quite exciting. I, I think there's a wee sort of groundswell that's going to erupt and going to smash the toilets. <laughs> Do you think if we get 55% or even 51% of the vote in the next general election, the, the UK government will like be a section 30? Probably no. not right away. I think there'll have to be outcry from their voters in other parts of the UK and international community before. I mean, look at how long it took to settle Northern Ireland's troubles, you know? So it's going to take a lot of pressure. I mean, they were blown up and setting bombs off in English cities, you know? So like they were, I'm not suggesting that this is any way to go, but they were at least, that was that was a that was a pressure that was being put on them in a way. I, I don't see where any pressure's coming from in terms of maybe agree it. And, and I would go back to buying my drum again of, I think, direct action to disrupt the Westminster Parliament might be the only way I can see that could force them into doing a Section 30. Would that do anything, though? Or would they be happy to see the SNP not take up their seats? Like, I, I don't see how direct action in the parliaments would I'm, actually I'm, substantively bring about change in I'm not, positive. I'm not, I'm not suggesting they don't take their seats. I'm encouraging them to take their seats. But once they're in there, do everything within the rules and out with the rules to make the pal- their pal- that parliament not function. You know, steal the think, big gold stick. I you know, think we lose international end. support if we do that, and we lose like the high road, basically, of going. Look, we're doing everything right. I mean, it's going to take longer doing it this way, but we're going to bring the world's opinion with us. But has the nice guys get? Like, well, do rule followers get what they want all the time? So, look at Catalonia. You know, the Spanish state brutalised people in the street and the world just closed their eyes and let it move on. And I really don't see the international community is going to play a huge part in this. The UK government, you know, unless, say, you know, some like the American government, and who knows with Joe Biden's sympathies to Ireland, uh, maybe it's possible, but I think it would take something like them strongly coming in, not just expressing concerns, but actually willing to take your side in a fight with the UK government. And I really don't see any nation going that far, to be honest, because they only want to do it for Catalan. This is sort of the, the crux of it. If there is no legitimate legal way for us to get out of this union, then... Maybe David's right. Maybe we need to send Mary Black some sharpies so she can draw in all the pictures in the lobby. But even things within the rules, like I, I, I don't know all the rules of Westminster, but requesting a vote on everything, you know, because every time they take a vote, it takes them half an hour because they all have to go through their wee turnstiles and stuff. But you know, I don't even think that would work because look at uh, John Nicholson recently. He brought up the issue with Nadine Doris and then he's getting into trouble after the speaker. So 
you're saying do it within the rules we've tried it I, I, I just I think you're right I think disrupt in every way possible steal the big gold stick run about the gardens with it you know, if, if you're a Tory backbencher trying to get some pet bill a backbench bill through and you're losing all your parliamentary time because SNP MPs are disrupting the parliament and delaying business I think that's a pressure then for backbench Tory MPs to say let them go let them have their referendum we want rid of them they're done but trouble you know do that I think that I can see some kind of pressure that will go on mm. UK government I don't I don't I, really I, see any other ones I understand what you're saying but I feel like that underestimates how greedy the Tories are and how much money Scotland has and you know how much money they have in Scotland so like what you're saying I think is a perfectly legitimate opinion to have but it's just not one that I share it it's not I just feel like it needs to be this slow moving like crescendo and I don't I don't think it'll help but it could I could be wrong I didn't grow up here so I like our three opinions though like cats like slowly slowly David's like just disrupt it and I'm just like burn it on I would always advocate for following all the laws as an immigrant on a visa. I would never advocate for breaking any laws or rules. Deborah, Deborah Torrance, the guy fought the one guy. Mm-hmm. Um, we mentioned it briefly, but some people have talked about using a Hollywood election as a proxy. You know, like that seems like a much kind of more, more a, a, a messy sort of situation in terms of like, it would, it would involve Nicola Sturgeon resigning as first minister. And then the Greens and SNP refusing a vote for any other alternative, which would cause an early election. Now, I don't like that uh, idea because it allows the unionists to just boycott it and be like, well, we're not participating. And it allows also the UK Parliament to still be like, well, it's just a devolved election, blah, blah. Like they just well, dismiss it. If they boycotted it, they would end up in the seats. But the, then they would just dissolve Parliament. <laughs> Maybe they'd just run on a list or something, and then they would try and, you know what I mean? Then there's like this conflating. You hear Tories all the time. I, I mean, I heard Angus Robertson say to Craig Hoy, well, you asked the people of East Lothian to vote for your manifesto, and they didn't. Well, like, he still is a uh, a list, a regional MSP, so he is legitimately voted in. So, like, that's kind of a dangerous line right there to yeah. take. Because most people aren't as like just submerged in politics all the time as we are. But I, I do think that it would be too messy. And I think that's kind of why they, you know, it was what Labour and Lib Dems that did the AMS system. I don't, did the SNP refuse to negotiate that, I believe? The remember. devolution. Remember? Is that remember. the, I can't remember either. I have a part of it in my dissertation introduction, but I couldn't remember. I'm almost positive like the SNP voted for, you know, like with labor for devolution, but then they didn't negotiate like the voting system or something. I think that was probably put together by the Blair government before the referendum for the Scottish Parliament. It was cross. It it was not just one party, though. You're teaching us. (laughs) You know, I think I mean, I think it would be really messy. So I'm not convinced it would be a great a great idea but you know you could look at doing something like gaming the system be only running the SNP and constituencies and the Greens and the list you know and saying right and fine if you're not going to play by the rules and give us a thing maybe we'll not play by the rules and we'll wipe you out the Scottish Parliament by gaming the system which people have been advocating for a, a while anyway. Sorry I'm still trying to find this. Sorry Deborah can cut out the sound we're well over time as I thought we would be on that. I just wanted to say a wee thing I don't even know if I'll keep it in the podcast, but I know we make comparisons sometimes to Catalonia, but Scotland is very much in a different setup. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important just to stress that point because although I support Catalonian independence, I do think it's a bit more complicated with the Spanish state and how that was set up initially. Whereas, really, I throw back to what I was saying earlier about. Scotland being a true democracy, we've never really, really had that. And I think independence is truly a chance to achieve that. See, I would actually say that this Supreme Court ruling actually shows that we're not in as much a different position to Catalonia. Do you think? We thought we were. Well, 
the argument of the Spanish government is always Catalonia doesn't have a right to be independent because of the constitution. Mm-hmm. UK doesn't have a constitution, but the closest we get is these kind of Supreme Court rulings, and the Supreme Court has said the same thing. Scotland doesn't have a right on its own to decide that it's having an independence referendum. So I think the Supreme Court is actually affirming that we are in a similar situation to Catalonia, even though we've always thought we're different because we were in a union, a union of well, nations. Well, that- really, we're not. But the articles of un- like the original articles, a union, like it, when in the 1950s there was a report and it stated that Scotland was in a voluntary union and was able to end it at any time. Uh, and then I think it was repeated in the Calman Commission, but they were totally ignored in the Supreme Court, sort of like I don't even think they were mentioned in any detail. So I agree with you in the sense that now it seems that we're very much in that situation but I always think UK is so unique and it's stupidity like it's so unique <laughs> like th- think about it think about the stupidity and all the countries getting together anyway it's stupid it's just feudalistic moronic idiocy I found the thing I was looking for. good because I was running out of words <laughs> so um in 95 Scotland's parliament Scotland's right was published and it was the Scottish Constitutional Convention. The SNP didn't take part in it. Uh, mm. I think the Greens did. Let's see. Double check. Political parties. Scottish Labour Party, Scottish Liberal Democrats, Social Democratic Party, Cooperative Party, Democratic Left, Orkney and Shetland Movement, Scottish Green Party. Wow. What year was that? It was published in the, in 1995, but it, it formed in 1989. And I, I remember... There's something about the SNP was like, no, we're not going to go for devolution. We want independence. And that was why the system that was cooked up. So it wasn't, I mean, it is a very strong system and it's the most proportional that the UK uses uh, within the devolved institutions or whatever. I think we beat Wales because we have STV for councils and they don't, right? Right. So that just goes to show you, you should have a seat at the table all the time. Okay, we'll move on now to the point because we spent way more than in a single. I think it was deserved, though. Yeah. Um, the General Secretary of the Real Maritime Transport Union has fought back against tabloid allegations that he's attempting to steal Christmas over planned strike action in December and January. He was labelled the Grinch by multiple publications, including the Daily Mail, the Sun, and the Metro, as well well as when he appeared on Good Morning Britain. So, Kat. Do you think Mick Lynch is a Grinch? I mean, I kind of like the Grinch, so it's not that big of a bird in my book. Like, um, no, I think it's very um, British tabloid kind of moniker. Um, I do think that I don't know who has all this endless money to ride trains everywhere over the holidays. That's going to miss out on their seasons. But I think more there's more people that are facing hardship and are have a lot of time for the position that the real striking workers are in. So I'm on the workers, always with the workers. It was interesting how many of these publications all came up with a specific attack line, all completely independently in the same day. Deborah? I like Mike Lynch. He's a good guy, by all means. Um, I was watching the, the video clip I'm getting harassed about the strikes uh, and how how's he uh, feel about working people haven't you know been put out and he's like that's exactly who I'm fighting for and there's ah but you're in a lot more wages he's like well maybe me personally but some of our workers are only on 18,000 pound a year and they're struggling so I think the the attacks were as you say David either coincidental or they just couldn't find anything else to like rhyme with lunch no I think you're right it was an orchestrated attack and when the workers, as Kat says, always support the strikers. Don't cross a picket. I just pulled up a BBC article and they literally asked him, you know, what do you say to people who call you the Grinch? He goes, I'm not the Grinch. I'm a trade union official and I'm determined to get a deal. Like, how can you not love that? <laughs> just- I mean, I think it shows that, you know, that he's getting that, you know, treatment for the tabloids that, you know, the Tory establishment are terrified him because... It's very like the Corbyn attacks, going away back to like Neil Pinnock and Michael Foot, you know, that real sort of targeted, you know, political assassination. I think the best thing they could do is completely concede to the RNT all the time because 
the media will not be interested in talking to him if there's no disputes running. So the best thing uh, for the would be to keep him off the airways because every time he does, he, abs- he, he wipes the floor and makes absolute fools of these sort of quite often quite um, upper-class, smug TV presenters that I've no use to dealing with somebody that completely rejects their framing and turns it back on them. And I think it was Richard Madeley and GMB was like, are, are, are you choosing the government of barefaced lying? And he went, well, yeah, I am. <laughs> it's like, Can't kick oh, me out of Parliament for saying it. Yeah, I would love to be in Richard Madeley's shoes where it's shocking that, this, that the government would tell a lie. You know, he must live in such a lovely wee world. Because every time they open their mouth, they lie about stuff. So why was it shocking that they would lie about a trade union? I like how all the attacks sort of just roll off them like water off a duck's back. I, I think that's such, as you say, David, it's it's really it's refreshing, really. Because <laughs> most of the time he's saying exactly what you're thinking as a viewer. He's very good, yeah. Mm-hmm. He doesn't rise, he doesn't take their baits, you know, and, and he does it with style. Yeah. Um, I, this is one area where like I didn't get to vote in the Brexit referendum and I'm pro EU, but everyone who's on social media going, but Mick Lynch backed Brexit or was too sympathetic to it or whatever, just shut up, <laughs> shut up because he's making progress. Like don't hate on the guy who's trying to help the workers just because you disagreed with him in the past. Like let's all move on. Yeah. And for better or worse, Brexit is, you know, the result has came and gone and we're not, we're not having another referendum in that so I, I really don't get that sort of attitude when folk pop up like they say oh actually actually you know remember what you thought about this and you're like well I, well, I disagreed with him then but you know how can you disagree with anything with me now well and it's tough because it's still in the news like it's still in the politics of today for very good reasons like it should be pointed out that there's things to fix because of it, but not to just go back to like hammering people over the head. Like, ah, I just wish humans were better at nuance. Like, oh. it's a big ask, Kat. That's I a, know. Big, a big ask. Common sense is not common. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if we get anything else to say. I think it'll be a short one. We'll balance, balance these out the very long first topic, I would say. Independence is the most important thing. And now a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor this week is Sense of Nature Pet Service, based in Central Scotland. Sense of Nature gives you a hands-on, personalised experience with a variety of exciting creatures. From snakes and skunks to tarantulas and turtles, Sense of Nature has something for everyone. They offer sensory sessions, one-to-one group sessions, educational encounters for children of all ages, and they are available for private events upon inquiry. Animal welfare is at the forefront of everything they do, and if appropriate, a risk assessment can be carried out at no additional cost prior to your booking. To get 5% off your next booking with Sense of Nature, quote Holyrood Ungagged 5 at time of booking. To contact Sense of Nature, you can do so by email on sense.of.natureinquiries at outlook.com. You can also find them on most social media platforms by searching for Sense of Nature. Okay, our next topic in the agenda. Labour leader Keir Starmer won Politician of the Week year at the Spectator Awards on Monday evening. He said, this is a real honour I don't expect to be endorsed by the spectator at the next election, but I look forward to disagreeing in the battle of ideas. I mean, the spectator. You, know, you can go first if you want. Kat, I just had one brief comment, is that if he would have written a letter or had someone else, like an underling, go read that out to accept the award on his behalf, that would have been magic. But of course he didn't, because he's not magic. I just hate talking about this guy, man. He mm. bores me to death, but you're right, the spectator. Mm. Uh, I sent you a photo in the chat. I'm stunning with all his Tory pals. He's I mean, tiny. Yes, he's quite short, isn't he? See, when you sent the agenda and it was P-O-T-Y, I was like, Keir Stammer is exceptional. Is it parent of the year? Like, I I didn't think for a second he would be politician of the year. Are you kidding me on? Also, when I searched politician of the year, Anis Sarwar popped up, but that was a Herald uh, Award for the Scottish politician of the year. So I was very confused. I don't think we should be doing politicians of the year. 
to be honest. I think they should just be serving their constituents and standing for re-election if they, they want to get awarded. I'm, I'm scunnered by it. And also, can we talk about The Spectator as a publication? Is it not just a horrible rag? <laughs> Is it no quite right wing backs? What was it? Greek neo-Nazis and said uh, Owen Jones was uh, tweeting about it. It's not a nice... They, they also done some, I think, phrenology stuff about right. Africans with lower IQs. Like, it's not not a nice publication. Yeah, it's, it's pretty vile. I mean, at time, they've published stuff because it was too right-wing for the Telegraph and the Mail. You know, it's so horrible. that gives you an indication. They once done an article about titled The Other Side of D-Day, where the <sighs> author praised the armed forces of the Third Reich. What? How, how hard that they fought. And actually, they were quite undermanned. Dear God. No yeah, way. So, and you're like, right, even if these are facts, and I don't know about the numbers and the whatever they were using, why are you so keen to put your feet, uh, put yourself in the shoes of Nazi soldiers? It's utterly bizarre. And yeah, they, they were defending Golden Dawn, which is a far-right uh, political party in Greece. They published an article during the Labour leadership analysing whether Yvette Cooper and Liz Kendall were good-looking enough to be potential prime ministers. Nice. Um, I don't know if they, they obviously think Keir Starmer's a good-looking guy then, he must be all right, or maybe it's different rules for men. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's like as bad as you can get. You know, Boris Johnson was their editor, for God's sake. Mm. If a magazine like that thinks of the politician of the year, my God, you should stop and take a long, hard look at yourself because you're not doing something right. Yeah. Was this the one where, like, Andrew Neil was the editor, or was it Michael Gove's wife, or was it Dominic Cummings' wife, or was it all of them that wrote uh, for The Spectator? Or writing for them, they might have all wrote for them. I think Andrew Neil might have been the, the, the editor of The Spectator at one stage, yeah. I don't really know. I, I'm glad that you kind of laid out the hierarchy, because I just, I generally know which ones are bad, and which, or which ones are right-wing bad, and which ones... <laughs> Are problematic on certain issues and then but i know the mail and like the scottish express is really bad and the spectator but i think the spectator you said is the the worst i would say it's probably the most right wing without like completely leaving the the sort of mainstream i mean the fact that these kind of publications are considered the mainstream is another debate in itself but these are the ones that is acceptable for for the mps to write for i would say uh, before you're getting into neo-nazi territory but we're saying that we're just talking about how they're praising Nazis. So how yeah. that works, I don't know. It's uh, I don't know. I, is it worse than the Sun? I mean, don't buy the Sun, don't read the Sun, don't write for the Sun. Is it? I think it's almost there. But then put it tied. Did, maybe tied. But then did the Sun know also give Keir Stammer an award? Mm. Did he not accept any of them a few years ago? I don't. I don't like the guy. So I'm not got much to say about. Him. Also. Rachel Reeves and the Shadow Chancellor also get Chancellor of the Year. I don't know how you get that when you're not actually doing the job, so I'm not sure how that works. But, hmm. you know, it seems like they're a big fan of the all of the Labour front bench at the moment, which, it's again... It's Rachel Reeves shit on immigrants recently, probably. Well, that would have definitely got in with them, I'm sure. But again, if you're in the Labour leadership and you're getting praised for the Spectator, that should immediately make you stop and sort of change direction. Because yeah. if, if they're happy, then you're doing something wrong. The, what do you think about Politician of the Year as an award anyway? I agree with you. I really don't like them. Like any of them. I just think they're dead cringy. And whenever I see any clips for it, it just, it, the optics I think are horrible. It just looks like, they're obviously more dressed up than usual because it's like a party. And it just looks like patricians patting each other on the back and about how wonderful and how good they are. And it also gives the impression that uh, we're all really just, this is one big club. We just pretend we disagree, you know, because yeah. they're at the party. How can, if you're left-wing, how can you vote and say, oh, no, I disagree, but, you know, uh, Maggie Thatcher was deserved a politician of the year or something like that? Well, if, one is, if you think that, you think politics is a game, something to be debated and chatted about. It's it's about people's lives. So how can you sit and have a drink with Tories that are, like, you know, been responsible for death? You know, we talked about a few episodes ago about like, deaths in the hundreds of thousands of COVID, deaths of disabled people through austerity. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a wee sit, we'll have a wee kind of polite um, 
night out where we all decide who was the best debater and who's the one to watch and all that shit. I mean, it really, I really don't like it. And I'm really, yep. I've always been disappointed when politicians alike have won it or actually attended it because if I was a politician, mm-hmm. I wouldn't go. Absolutely. I agree. Like, I think it's kind of like lobbying in a democracy. You can't get rid of it really, you know, because it, it fundamentally is like people advocating on their own behalf and it gets bastardized by capitalism or whatever. But yeah, I don't, I don't have much time for it. Yeah, it's actually one of my pet peeves. I've always hated it. Even back when I was in SSP, like when I first heard about the Hollywood ones, and I was just like, no, I don't like it. I was, I was, I was, I was hoping somebody would disagree with me because. I mean, there's one part that you said about I struggle sometimes because I work at Parliament, so I have to see people who I disagree with very much on issues. But you know, some of those people are in my own party. Some people, you know. And, and and some staffers, some MSPs or whatever, they can be very, very tribal where it's like, these people are mine and those are yours. And I really don't, I find it juvenile and, and ridiculous at a, at a certain point. Cause it's like, can't you just be a polite adult and, and say nothing? But when I have to speak with people that I'm really angry about, which recently it's GRR, right? I can, I can always find one thing that I can talk to them about genuinely that we agree on. And that's like, that's the way that I don't compromise myself. And I don't, and I also get whatever done. But I think that part of that was like from being in the military and really disagreeing fundamentally with a lot of the people I worked with and thinking that they were horrible people. So, and but like having to like fly an airplane with them and <laughs> still get to where we're going. So I, think- I, I do think that there's like a congenial part, but yeah, going out to drinks for awards, I think is just I agree with you in that part, David. There's no need yeah. for that. You can be civil, absolutely. You can be civil with people, but yeah, it just it makes it feel as if you're actually part of a club, and you know the normal people out there working every day are, are not really part of the club, and it's all a big charade. And I think you're right. I think you can work with people you disagree with for a common goal, and that's achievable. But I don't think going to award ceremonies that are presented by newspapers that like Nazis is really a good look for the Labour leader, <laughs> to be honest. Like the Chris, leader of the Labour Party. Try to come up with something. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, very fair. Okay, our final topic of the evening. The Conservative peer Michelle Moan and her children secretly received £29 million originating from the profits of a PPE business that was awarded large government contracts after she recommended it to ministers, reported to the Guardian. Lady Moan's support helped the company, PPE MedPro, secure a, v- a place in the VIP lane the government mm. used during the coronavirus pandemic to prioritise companies that had political connections. It then secured more than £200 million worth of contracts. Documents seen by the Guardian indicate tens of millions of pounds of MedPro's profits were later transferred to a secret offshore trust, trust of which more than her child, adult children were beneficiaries. Whose turn is it to go first? And they, and they rarely to go. How did she get the contract? That's my she... question. How did she get the contract? Was it? Did it go to tender? And how come the company wasn't set up till five days after she'd approached the government? What's what's going on there? Give me the answers, David. Well, I think we discussed before, way back, the VIP lane, this is the kind of thing that has happened. There was no process. It was going to literally anybody who could get in front of ministers and say, I'll do it. And it didn't matter what, what their background was, what their expertise was. They were basically just had to have a, a way in. They just had to know somebody that could get them a meeting and they would make promises. And the government were pretty much just all over the place and flattened to the extent that if somebody agreed to get them PPE, they would write them a blank check pretty much and that's what's happened what's really i mean a lot of that is stuff we already knew what's interesting in this case is up to in fact i don't know if she still is but certainly until really recently uh, michelle moan was still claiming she had no connection to medpro and that and she didn't it wasn't declared in the register of financial interest for the house of lords because she says she didn't claim this is a quote that was released through her lawyer. She did not benefit financially and was not connected to PPE MedPro in any capacity, apart from the fact that she had £29 million from them put into a trust that she's a beneficiary of. But then, in her, in, in, in defence of her, she didn't know that they knew that. <laughs> it was a shell corporation. How dare you? 
I just, when I read this article, I was like, ah, yeah, a reminder that this is all David Cameron's fault. Like, let us not ever forget how horrible and a person David Cameron is and what damage he did. Uh, Because the choices he made throughout, the promises he made to get elected, and then the choices he made have completely ruined everything. It's just, ugh, he's horrible. I hate him. Is it because he made Donald Lord? Is that what you mean? Well, yes, but he did a lot of other things. But like, it was a reminder. Oh, yeah, David Cameron, he was really, really awful. And when people are like, oh, well, he's not the worst. Like, yeah, yeah, he is. He was the catalyst, wasn't he? With Brexit. And he tried to wreck the European Union before he left it. They were so happy to see the back of him. Yeah, I mean, you just wonder how widespread this kind of thing is. I mean, this was something that had to be discovered by The Guardian. You know, how many other politicians have got secret accounts that they're squirrelling money away or skimming it? And to the point that they're happy to come out and release statements that are complete barefaced lies, saying that they don't have any connection with this trust that they're getting £29 million from. I mean, it's the House of Lords. I mean... Don't get me started. It just makes me so angry. And did you mention that the PP couldn't even be used by the nurses? Did you mention that? But <laughs> no, I missed that small detail. Yeah, small detail of the woman that made Ultimo gel bras couldn't they, in fact make a up to standard PPE. Shock, horror, huda. I mean, a wee bit of due diligence for the people handing out these millions of pounds. That would well, have been no. useful. Also, they didn't, like, I'm sure that she took the care to do it. She would have, if she would have been held to account, if there would have been any kind of mechanism. Yeah, basically. They would have been usable. But, like, that is how awful this all was. Like, it just makes me want to scream. Can we abolish and make illegal the aristocracy in general completely? That would be great. Yeah, I think a lot of it, because obviously, if they're getting paid, getting so much money, they probably wanted to deliver good PPE. But the thing is, they knew nothing about making it. And what they were really doing is act, was just act, uh, acting as go-betweens. They were getting the contract and then turning around and trying to find somebody that say they could... And, and then dealing with, you know, the equivalent of Wish.com that, you know, some random factory that will promise to make you anything with any sort of quality control whatsoever that just, there we go, there's your PPE delivered and you open it up and it's nothing like what you ordered. I feel like you're giving them too much credit, David. I don't think they gave a shit from the beginning to the end because that's not the type of people they are. I think they're like, oh, I know a guy. I know a guy who owns a factory on the other side of the world. Let me make a few phone calls. Bing, bang, boom. Take care of this. Okay, I'll take care of it. And everyone along the way was just doing the minimum for to put money in their yeah. pockets because well, why wouldn't they? I think you're giving them too much credit because I don't think they did know somebody with a factory. I think... They went looking for somebody after they got the contract. Okay, they said that they knew someone for, with a factory. Correct. That, yeah, that's not I the mean, important part. I don't think they gave a shit about Matt, making good PPE. Matt Hancock, I mean, you, you could they make it up giving a contract to the, the, the landlord, these local pub to make, you know, vials for, you know, testing stuff. And it's like, he runs a pub. What does he know about making medical equipment? Grifter's going to grift. It's because he said the new guy met him in the pub. Hey, so I was looking into whether a peer could actually be removed for the House of Lords, and what the House of Lords Reform Act 2014 does allow it, but, mm. all the, but she would need to be sentenced to a year in prison, which I think, based on these allegations, is entirely possible. So mm. you'd love to see it. That would be nice. Fingers crossed. I mean, I, I'm not for sending people to prison for nonviolent crimes, but uh, sentence her. Kick her out of the House of Lords and then fine her or whatever. There's non-violent crimes and then there's non-violent crimes, though. Like, somebody, somebody shoplifting nappies, yeah, don't find me. Somebody defrauding the public purse of $29 million. Yeah. Just sentence her to whatever makes her ineligible for anything again. And then I don't, she can serve it in wherever. Well, I mean, she's, or- I, don't, I don't think she's been elected to anything ever in her life. You know, she's... Right, but she's in the House of Lords. That's what I meant. She was appointed. Or I've got a better solution. We just burned in the House of Lords. Eat the rich. Eat them. Eat the rich. Or tax them. Give them the choice. You want to be taxed? You want to be eaten? Deborah, how long have you been a pyromaniac? (laughs) No, I'm I'm thinking they might make a better kebab than the one I had at the weekend. (laughs) What a beautiful circle this podcast has now become. 
We stop it off pie. with kebabs and what ain't in with kebabs. <laughs> We're going to open up an ungag kebab shop. Well, nobody's going to eat at it. Got to diversify. Well, king kebabs, but lord kebabs. Taking that too far. Cannibalism is too much. <laughs> I really didn't think we'd wind up talking about cannibalism. Yeah. When we started the podcast, I could not have predicted where we'd end up. Here we are. Well... We didn't get to talk about the other thing that's making me mad about the the people are betters is the uh, the whole Princess Charlotte Charlotte being the future Duchess of Edinburgh. Like, please no, please stop, please don't. But I think it's only in the press because Prince Philip wanted Prince Edward to have it, but King Charles wants Princess Charlotte to have it, and I don't care about any of that. I just want them to like not put their name on my city. You know, and also like make the Prince of Wales, well, like the Prince of Wa- from Wa- Wales, like let's not have a prince, like leave Wales alone, leave Wales alone. Well, yeah, because you had this ludicrous situation with the World Cup there where the Prince of Wales was congratulating and seeing off the England national football team who will be playing Wales tomorrow night as we are recording. And uh, it didn't actually go a wish the Welsh team luck considering he's the Prince of Wales which kind of brings into contrast the ridiculousness of it. And like, I'm I'm like cringing before it happens because there really haven't been any of the reaction pieces out, right? There was just the first stuff hit the presses today. Surely there's going to be a bunch of pieces of like, Scotland is incensed because you're treating us just like Wales. But like, I, I want to be clear, like Wales was treated worse. Like it's way worse that the Prince of Wales and their situation and that, his first official visit was during o- Owen. It's like their national hero Wales Day. Owen Glendale. Thank you. I didn't know how to say it. That was his first visit. And then, you know, the whole history of the Prince of Wales. Deborah, you're better at this than I am. But it's that they purposefully made. Can you can you do it? But no, uh, I it's Wales became a sort of enforced principality. And uh, the, a lot of their rights was taken, stripped away. Yeah, we know. Is that what to... you're is that what you're talking about? Yeah, like they, <laughs> they didn't they say like, oh, I'm making my son the Prince of Wales, so it'll be always an English per English yeah. Prince of Wales or something to humiliate them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was very much the point to humiliate them after building more castles per square mile than anywhere else in Europe in order to subjugate the Welsh. Oh, but why would you want to break up this perfect union that treats each other with dignity and respect for hundreds of years, Kat? Like really? <laughs> So you were saying, Kat, um, is there anything else about the seven-year-old Princess Charlotte you hate? Uh, I don't have, like, I'm sure she's, I mean, she might be a nice little girl. She might be a holy terror like my eight-year-old daughter, who I love very dearly, and I wouldn't have her any other way. But, like, she doesn't need to be a duchess. She could just be a wee little girl. And it's no, it's nothing against her. It's just, please, please, can we not have a monarchy anymore in Scotland? That's all. A prayer of public. <laughs> what do you think about her, David? Uh, I don't like her. I don't like her younger brother. I don't like her older brother. I don't like her parents. Uh, I don't like her grandparents. I don't like her great grandparents. I don't like her extended family. I hear they're Tories, anyways. So I, can, I think they're even above Tories in terms of I don't. If they're like uber Tories. There's pure yeah. monarchists. Not bad. I don't know if I ever said. I definitely said it before you, Deborah, but. For years, I was at a weird thing where my life was running parallel to Prince William. Um, yes. We, oh, yeah. We're the same age. We're, we're all born, the same age. Born in the same year. We get married yes. the same year. Our first two, three children, I think, were all born in the same year. It was freaky. Um, I still have a full head of hair. No. I forgot about that. That we're the same age because my like my mom was the same age as like Princess Diana when she died. So that's why I'm like, oh, that seems like a horrible situation. Like. It was a weird parallel for me too. I'm so glad we talked about this. There you go. It's just testament to the ludicrous situation we're in. And we still really live under uh, a feudal society where people can just impose children as duchesses in uh, an entire city or region or island or whatever. It's stupid. Down with it all. Family, you, David. Don't like her either. Just outlaw, <laughs> outlaw the aristocracy and just let them be privately wealthy individuals and tax them accordingly. Well, on that note, um, I think we'll end it there. Uh, Kat, thanks for joining us. Deborah, thanks for joining us, joining me as ever. And to all the listeners, thanks for listening. 
We can find all our podcasts at leftungag.org as well as written articles. We've got a North American-based monthly podcast, World Beat with George Collins. Um, you can catch Cat and Erin on the Talking Sense podcast. A new episode is up right now. And if there's anything you want to talk about at Hollywood Ungagged, tweet us at underscore ungagged, hashtag Hollywood Ungagged. Or you can email us ungaggedleft at gmail.com, putting Hollywood Ungagged in the subject line. And if you enjoyed this, please give us five stars in whatever podcast platform you use. And we also have a vibrant Discord community at the moment. So if you'd like to get involved in that, please contact us in any of our social media channels. Kat, Deborah, thanks again. And all the listeners, I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Neil might kill you for not mentioning the sub stack. My-